Thanks for joining the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast, where we discuss God, the Bible, and God's purpose for your life. Be inspired and encouraged to engage in transforming the world around you. It's such a privilege to be able to meet and share with you every two or three weeks. And uh, it's just fun to have a little part in being able to encourage and maybe equip you uh, just a little bit. What I want to do today is talk to you about three defining parables of the kingdom. I won't get through all of it today, probably part one and next time part two. But Jesus was a master storyteller. And as I've grown older, I'm in my 60s, uh, I love to preach the word, but I've discovered that if we can wrap that in stories and good illustrations, that it tends to help people remember and also grab a hold of what we're teaching. And this manual has outlines that hopefully you can tweak and uh, teach uh, where God has assigned you to pastor, teach, or lead. So Jesus was the storyteller, and he spoke to masses and parables using common language and giving them spiritual or heavenly meaning. And we know all of you are leaders, parables or earthly stories with heavenly meanings. But I think what Jesus hoped people would do was uh, go away and think and discuss about these uh, teachings among themselves, and maybe even ask the Lord for more understanding. So here are the three big picture parables that I wanna share. And uh, they're just these three things, and we'll start with the first one. One's very familiar, the parable of the sower. Uh, I want to maybe use a little twist on this that perhaps you haven't heard before, but Jesus makes a statement in this parable that it's really the most important parable, and if we don't understand this parable, we won't understand all the rest of the parables. The second parable I'm going to share with you is about the wheat and the tares, and the third parable is about the master assigning the talents uh, to three people. So let me give you some key words. The first parable is about sowing and reaping. The second parable is about separating and harvesting at the end of the age. And the third parable is about doing kingdom business or work until he returns. It's easy in what's going on around the world to lose our focus. Let me encourage you to glance at the circumstances. I watch the news a little, um, but I keep my gaze on Jesus because no matter what is going on in the world, um, we are called, according to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, to preach the gospel of the kingdom until everyone is heard, called to make disciples, and then the end will come. And so glance at the circumstances, keep your gaze on Christ, keep your gaze on the assignment and the goal that God's put before us. I love Joshua Nations because they want to reach people and make disciples. And I'm all about that. So let me just read to you out of Mark chapter four. I'm gonna begin in verse one, and I'm gonna read uh, probably through about verse 13. This parable goes to verse 20, but this will get us started and then we'll unpack it together. And again, he, Jesus, began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him. So they got into a boat, and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed, 
that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on the ground and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30, some 60 and some 100. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him in the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So let me just unpack the first part of this quickly. We know that Jesus is using four kinds of soils and I wanna call these four kinds of hearts, four kinds of core beliefs in people's lives, four kinds of hearts. The first one is a hard heart. This is where the seed was sown, but it took no root because the soil was very hard. The birds of the air came and they steal the seed before any penetration in the heart. The second one is a shallow heart. They have emotional and basic intellectual reception but the seed is sown in a stony and shallow ground. It springs up quickly, but when the heat comes, these people quickly fall away and wither because they have no depth of root. They're not really disciples. Thirdly, it's a crowded heart. And this plagues the culture of America. The seed falls among thorns and thistles and it gets choked and bears no crop. And the fourth is a ready heart. It's a prepared heart. The seed fell on good ground, it sprang up and yielded a crop that increased. This ground was abundantly productive. So when Jesus had finished teaching, his disciples come and say, um, you know, we don't quite understand this parable. We wanna understand this parable. And Jesus proclaims, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we all are sitting here have ears. What Jesus is talking about is the very foundation that his church will be built on. When Peter, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 16 says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said to him, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven, you are Peter. He changed his name to a part of Petra, the bedrock, Jesus, who he is. He said, Peter, you're of the substance of who I am, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the rock is more than just Jesus Christ. Please listen to me. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Many people intellectually know that the church is built on Jesus Christ and he's the cornerstone. I believe that. But what he's saying to them is there's more than intellect. We certainly study. Many of us have education. I have a bucket load of education but that's not what qualifies me. It's spending time in the word and asking the Holy Spirit for revelation of what God is saying and real understanding. Wisdom is to continue to gain the knowledge of the Lord. Understanding is how to apply the truth of God's word. 
Jesus is teaching. Many people could hear him intellectually, but they didn't have the revelation. They didn't have the Holy Spirit revealing to them that wisdom and understanding of how things work. And then he went on to say this. He said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all of the parables? That is so key and so important. So let me suggest to you several things. And I uh, chuckle because uh, uh, Willie Sr. and Billy and uh, Lena had a large, large farm in South Africa. They probably could teach some things on farming much greater than I could. But I grew up in farmland in the central United States until I went to college. I worked on farms. I learned a lot of things about farming. But here's something interesting about a seed. Jesus said the sower sows the seed. So if you take a seed and as a scientist, you break it down and discover all of its component parts. It's so much this element and so much this and so much this. They did it in a laboratory and put all of those components together and pressed them into a seed and planted them in the ground and they dissolved. It didn't grow anything. So they had another idea. They thought that to make seeds grower, grow uh, quicker, that they could put them in uh, something and crush the seeds and begin to break them and plant them in the ground that maybe they would grow more quickly. They discovered two things. The seeds that they created or constructed dissolved and didn't grow. And the seeds that they broke did not grow. Here's why. Inside a seed, there's supernatural life. In that seed, there's a picture, if you're growing corn, of the roots, the stalk, the ears of the cobs, all of the kernels, the tassels, and the supernatural life that God created to make that grow. If you fragment and break a seed, it won't grow because you have to have the whole seed blessed by the life that God put in it to make it grow. Here's the secret to all of these parables. You and I are called to teach the word. We're called to teach the entire word and not just parts of the word. Don't teach the fragmented word. I'm encouraging you sometimes to just teach through a book, teach through the book of Mark or teach through the book of Ephesians. And we have certain subjects that our people need if we're pastoring, certain um, topics on parenting or marriage. But so many people today are not reading and do not know the word of God. We can read it. We can listen to it. But it's important that we get more and more of the word in our lives because the word has supernatural power to teach us, to reveal the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to us. And the word of God is three things. If you're taking notes, I challenge you to, to write down these three things. The word of God is a love letter. It tells us how much God loves us, how he has made a way for forgiveness and reconciliation through the only Savior, Jesus Christ, how in John 16, the father likes us and wants a, revel, uh, a relationship with us. And so the Bible is a love letter. The second thing the Bible is, is an instruction manual. 
So if you get a new computer and you're downloading software, it comes with software, there's an instruction manual and it tells you how things work. Now, I'm 63, I'm still learning how to operate computers and I, I'm learning, I try to learn something new every week. But in the past, if I would do something on the computer and it wouldn't work or I would push a wrong button or, or sequence, um, even though I wanted to take my hand and pound the keyboard, that's not going to help anything. I had to find the instruction manual or someone like Jonathan who could sit down and show me how this was created to work. The Bible tells us how God made things to work. So the Bible's a love letter. It's an instruction manual, but it's also a rule book. And not all rules are bad. We just don't want to walk in legalism and heavy handedness. So here's what I would say there. If you are driving on the wrong side of the road and you're doing 120 miles an hour, or 150 kilometers an hour, and you're breaking the rules, you could kill yourself and kill other people. Rules aren't bad. There's just a, a minimum amount of them that are necessary so that you and I can have order. Righteousness is not only to be in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but the idea of righteousness is God's divine order, God's right order of how things work. And so Jesus was teaching in this parable how important it was to have the seed, the supernatural life and revelation of the Holy Spirit as we learn truth. And we need to learn the ever-growing truth and the fuller truth. And the more I learn and live, James 1 I think 24 says, I'll be blessed in whatever I do. You will be blessed, men and women, as you learn and live the truth. So he was saying to them, and I want to just interpret the parable a little bit, and that starts in verses 14 through 20. He said, the hard heart is when people hear the word and they're just hard, they're resistive, they won't receive it. And it doesn't take very long for the enemy to come and to steal away. Satan comes and takes the word away that was trying to be sown in their heart. And they go back to their own deception or to the enemy's control. Let me give you an example. Three Sundays ago, um, we had two ladies that walked into our church. And I knew because we have a couple here that three years ago were saved in prison and in jail and they were both living a homosexual and a lesbian lifestyle. They were saved. They were delivered. They have really walked with the Lord. My wife and I helped marry them about uh, three months ago. And they have a jail ministry where they go into the, the jail as people come out and share and then bring them over to our church a quarter of a mile away and share the gospel, lead them to Christ. This was a couple that they'd been witnessing to. The couple came, sat in the service, heard the word, and one of the ladies at the end came forward and she said, I want to repent of living a gay lifestyle. I understand it's sin, it's not right, and I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so we helped her repent. We bound and spoke to that perverse spirit, and she was released. And she received Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. When she finished praying, the lady that was with her, 
and they were married, not before God, but in the government in 2015, came up and grabbed her by the shoulder and she said, we need to leave right now. And so here is one that heard the word and she was able to receive and she's continuing to come and grow. The other one heard the same word and her heart is so hard and she does not want to follow Jesus. And she was trying to pull this lady away. They have split up and the one is continuing to follow the other. Satan stole the word and she's continuing to live in her sin and brokenness. We're praying for her. And we hope she will repent and come to the Lord. So some have a hard heart. Some have a shallow heart. They receive the word with gladness at first. I've been doing this for 42 years. You have people that come and they pray and receive Jesus. And they say, this is wonderful. I'm never going back to my old lifestyle. I'll be here. See you Wednesday or see you next Sunday. You never see them again. You call, you reach out. They were excited but the word did not take root in them. In this place, Jesus was teaching. There was what's called an alluvial plain. There was limestone rock with about maybe four to six inches of dirt on top of it. And he was talking about how if you plow that ground and sow the seed and the sun shines, that the ground gets so hot, there's not enough depth of soil that the plants um, cannot cool off and they wither and die because of the heat. He's just saying that some people um, come and they want to know Jesus, but then as the pressure and persecution of the enemy or family and friends or the culture begin to press down on them, they quickly wither and they're not willing to follow the Lord this is what I see, and I'm going to give you some personal terminology. Some of them try to walk in their religious flesh. They know they've not yet understood how to walk in the spirit, and they're trying to be good in their own flesh and abilities. Flesh is dead. In the flesh, you can't reconstruct it and fix it. It's broken. It's sinful. And we have to learn to bring that under submission and walk in the spirit. The third heart is a crowded heart. And these people allow the thorns of worldly cares, deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things to come in and choke out the word, and they become unfruitful. I know many people today that I believe know the Lord, but slowly they get so embroiled and so involved in the things of the world and they're not necessarily immoral and wicked. They're just distracting. I know parents with two or three kids, and their kids are in two activities. This boy is in, you know, some kind of judo class and playing baseball. And this girl is in ballet, and she's also in soccer. And their lives are so full of running after all these things, they don't have time to really be together as a family they spend six days a week working and all these events, and they'll tell me we were too tired to come to church, or we can't come to small group for a while because we've got too much other stuff going on, and the Lord and the kingdom are no longer their passion and their priority. 
One of the things, and I'm a dad of five and have 11 grandchildren. One of the things we learned growing up is we had to set priorities. The Lord came first. We ate dinner together every night, except maybe one night a week. And that's when as family, we would talk and we would pray. As we shared the meal, I might open the scripture and read two or three minutes and we would talk about things. And then we only let our children be in one thing three times a year because we could manage that and we were not exhausted and we did not neglect the Lord. Others, the whole idea of money is their security. And instead of trusting the Lord or learning to tithe and uh, believe that the 90% under God's blessing goes further than the 100% under the curse, God having first fruit or first place in their life, they struggle because they don't believe they can give and trust the Lord and he will take care of them. I'll give you this example. I have a men's group on Monday nights. We have 12 to 15 men. We just finished a series called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church in the Dallas, Texas area. He was teaching about how to have a giving lifestyle, not just money, service, um, living for others, family, friends, neighbors, where you work, not yourself. And I have this man who's an engineer. And after he heard the teaching, many men were giving testimony about how they had taken steps of faith and that God had blessed and made a way for them. He had heard the truth. He said, yes, but, but that way didn't work for me. I tried it once and this is what I do. And that's where a lot of people are. Instead of trusting God by faith, walking for a while, they try something once, maybe with not a right heart. And I had to chuckle because the men in the group turned to him and said, brother, we're concerned about you because what you just said is I heard the word, but it doesn't work. And I have another way. And they were loving, but they confronted him and it made him so angry that he got up and stormed out of the room. I've talked to him. They came back Sunday. He's not back in the group, but he's got this crowded heart that's partially hard. And his struggle is, I have to do it my way rather than faith and trust God. He's not alone. There are many of us that have struggled with that, and some of our people struggle with that. Let me just encourage you, don't judge those people. Inside, I wanted to judge this man, and the Lord reminded me as pastors and leaders, the book of Timothy says, patient when wronged, instructing and teaching with long-suffering, and the Lord reminded me that he didn't call me to be a judge. He called me to patiently pastor people. Some of them have all these cares of the world, all these distractions and desires for the world. And the word is choked out. Now, I love this last one, the ready or the prepared heart. Because if you're a good farmer, you plow the ground. Please listen to me. Because... The Lord, I asked him a question. I said, Lord, how do I have a prepared heart? Now, what he taught me was not pleasant. I looked at him about halfway through this process, and I said, I know this is good for me, and this is right, but Lord, I'm almost sorry that I asked you, 
how to have a prepared heart. So if you're on a farm and the ground is fallow and it's hard and it's got weeds and things growing in it, the first thing that you do is you take what's called a deep plowshare and you turn that ground over about a foot deep. And God began to plow my heart um, with the cross. And he began to say, this is an attitude I want you to, to give to me. I will begin to change your attitude. I'll teach you how to pray and speak life over those situations instead of having a bad attitude and whining and speaking death. He began to show me that sometimes I was bitter and had unforgiveness, having pastored a long time. People hurt me, and I had a hard time sometimes forgiving and really letting them go and blessing and speaking good. Sometimes I would find that I would struggle with fear and not want to give, and the Lord would have to remind me, I'm your provision. Other times, I might struggle with thought life, and I hope you don't mind me being vulnerable, but I know the first look sometimes is natural. The second look is sin, and the Lord had to begin to teach me how to guard my eyes, and how to guard my heart to him and to my wife, and then I've had other times when I've wanted to gossip, and I wanted to say things that was just needed to be between that person, the Lord, and me, and so as I asked the Lord to plow my heart, he went deep and he said, this is what it looks like to be like Jesus. And we have a lot of work to do in you. And so um, I'm still in process. Then you take what's called the disc and you come in and you cut that sod up some more because you're looking for this soft prepared ground. You take a harrow and a rake and you get rid of all the sticks and stones and all those big weeds and stobs. And then they come in with a manure spreader, a fertilizer. This was the fun part. Because there are times when I look at the Lord and say, you know, this is difficult. This really stinks. And he just says to me, I love you. It's part of the process. You just stay right where you are. I've had times when I just wanted to run away. And I know enough after 42 years of ministry, every one of you have had times where you've thought, I'm going to run away, I'm going to quit, I'm going to perform publicly, but privately, I'm just tired, I've got doubt and unbelief. Let me just encourage you, that's the process, keep surrendering to the Lord. Because then, after you do all of that preparation and come in, the ground is ready to receive the seed, and it will tremendously grow. God really is into return on his investment, ROI. All these parables have to do with sowing and reaping, have to do with harvest at the end of the age, have to do with taking what God gives us and putting it to work, because there will come a day when the Lord wants a return on his investment. Let me just say this about farming, and then I, I want to get into the second parable before we're done today. When you sow the seed and you begin to prepare the field, you have to tend it. You pray for the early rains and the late rains. There were times when I worked for farmers that we would go through the field and we would chop out or cut out certain large weeds that had lots of seed and he didn't want that spread. So we would go through and we would weed to a degree some of these fields. The other thing that happened is sometimes if it didn't rain enough, 
I worked for a farmer that had an irrigation system. This is a process that often takes six months from preparation to sowing, to watering, to harvest. Here's what some people do. You cannot cram on the farm. Here's the illustration. There were times in college, I didn't do this so much in seminary and then on with my advanced degree because I learned the importance of study and putting things in and retaining them. But sometimes in college, um, I wouldn't study until the night before and I'd cram it all in. And when I would go take the test, instead of making a hundred or a 95, I might make an 85, I would pass, but I was cramming instead of learning. You can't cram on the farm. You can't go out, plow one day, disc the next, put the fertilizer in, throw the seed in the ground, and then run six inches of water on your field, and then try to get up two days later and say, here's the full harvest. It doesn't work that way. And uh, I think uh, uh, Villy and Willie can tell you that will not work. <laughs> it's a process. And guys, the seed has the full growth in it, the full plant, roots, stock, leaves, ears, tassels, fruit. And what I'm encouraging us to do and to teach our people to do is to become long-term committed disciples. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. You're going to have to come to know me. You're going to have to learn to walk in revelation where the Holy Spirit teaches you the word. You're going to have to learn to walk in a new kingdom in this world. You're going to have to learn to sow the seed. And if your heart's shallow, I want to break that up. If it's cluttered, I want to weed your heart because I want to bring you to a place that it is prepared and ready to receive and to grow 30, 60, and 100-fold. Let me just share with you something that has happened during this COVID time. The Lord spoke to me early, and he said, during this time, I'm going to grow the church, your, the church that I'm pastoring, and I'm going to bless you financially during this time. I began to hear other churches that could not pay their bills. People were not watching online. They were not coming. But what happened here is that during the COVID time, this church grew 40 people. We're kind of a new church. We were 80. We grew to 120. People gave so incredibly faithfully that all of our bills were paid. And at the end of a year, we had two months of our budget in the bank. We've grown another 30 or 40 people in the last six months. And Sunday, after the service, people were counting our tithes and our offerings. And one of the people came and kind of grabbed me. I was talking with somebody, and they, they were just kind of excited. They grabbed me by the sleeve, and they said, Pastor, come here. I just need to tell you something. And I said, just a minute. They said, no. I, got, I thought, what is going on? And so I drew over to the side. And normally we take in five to $6,000 a week and our budget's about 22,000 a month. And this particular individual said, someone gave $25,000 this morning. And when I looked and saw who it was, and I don't try, I don't look at money. I don't wanna see people as money. I was astounded. This is a couple that had a broken marriage and God had healed their marriage. 
and they don't necessarily make a lot of money. They make a good living, but they gave an extravagant offering to say thanks to the Lord. And what it's going to allow us to do is to finish our remodel. We're, we're growing and remodeling. We're going to be able to take a U.S. missions trip this year uh, since the out of the country is closed. And we have a couple of outreaches we were praying to be a part of. A month ago, we took a step of faith, gave to a well in Rwanda, gave to a project in Burma, and gave a couple people on our staff a raise. And it was a step of faith for us. But what we're seeing is as we step out in faith and do what God's word says, God is faithful. It's amazing. I'm humbled just to see how faithful God is. I want to just encourage you guys, as you teach your people about the parable of the sower, they will make great strides. But for some of them, they're going to experience fear as they learn to trust God and deny themselves and take up the cross daily and deal with their flesh and reckon it dead, they're going to be like, God, I'm trusting you. Are you faithful? He'll prove himself faithful. There are other people, as they begin to have the courage to say, we're so invested in the world, and it happens slowly. We didn't mean to. We repent. We want to come back and begin to not have a crowded heart, but a prepared and a ready heart. There's just fears. One dad looked at me and he said, we need to do this, but I've got a 12-year-old son that is so into judo and baseball that I, I'm scared if I do this, he's going to really resent Jesus. And we talked about prayer, how he and his wife could pray, and how they could begin to talk to their son and begin to walk into that. Let me tell you a true story about overcoming the fears that you and many of your people may face. Because as we step out in faith, the risk of faith, you're going to experience fear in your flesh. I've been a Christian 48 years. I wish I could tell you that I never experienced fear. It's like every time that I'm supposed to take a step of faith, I also experience fear. I don't know if that's just the enemy. It's still part of my flesh because I'm not perfect yet. But here's a story about a pastor in San Antonio. His name is John Osteen. He's been dead for 20-something years. But I heard him tell the story one time at a leaders conference, and it stuck with me. He is an eloquent preacher. He is a man of God. He seems so courageous and full of faith. But he said, as a young pastor, he said, I had a fear of cemeteries, of graveyards, especially after dark. And people laughed. He said, so I would be in my office during the winter months. It would be dark. And when I came out, he said, when I left the church, it was one mile to my house, but I had to drive the first quarter of a mile through a cemetery. There was a cemetery on both sides of the road. He said, sometimes I would be so scared that I would almost lay down in the seat as I drove between the cemetery because he said, I, I had this feeling that something was going to get me. And we laughed. He said, isn't that foolish? But he said, the fear was real. He said, sometimes I would drive out and get on the interstate and it would take me 20 minutes to get home. But if I could drive through the cemetery, it would take me two or three minutes to get home. 
He said, I began to tell the Lord, I feel so foolish. And he said, one night when I laid down, I had a dream. And he said, and in the dream, he said, I had a monster coming toward me in my dream and it was going to get me. And he said, it felt so paralyzing, but I realized that Jesus was walking beside me. And he said, in my dream, I reached over and grabbed Jesus and put Jesus in front of me. And I said, get him, Jesus. And in the dream, Jesus stepped back and grabbed me and he put me, John said, in front of him. And he said, get him, John. He said, this happened two times. And the third time that I grabbed Jesus and said, get him, Jesus, he said, Jesus melted into me. And he said, let's get him, John. You see, we have Christ in us. We have the seed of the word in us. We have the authority of Jesus in us. And we can conquer whatever it is that we face. I don't have all the answers for people that are coming uh, from a shallow heart and letting God plow deeply in their life. But I know this, we can trust him together. I'll pray with them. I'll walk with them. You can do the same. I don't have all the answers as people are getting uh, through with a crowded life and letting God weed their thistles and thorns and reordering their priorities and giving them a new passion. But instead of being afraid, I can pray with them. I can walk with them. I can teach them with the authority of Jesus to speak uh, to those things. And the result will be a very fruitful heart and a very fruitful life. So I hope that this has been an encouragement and a help. We'll pick up with those other two parables the next time that I get to teach with you. But could I just have a short prayer with you? Let's just pray a minute. Father, thank you for the seed of your word. Thank you for the living seed of Jesus Christ. That he too came, God in a human body. The life was in that seed. And as he was planted in the ground and descended into the depths and broke open those gates of hell that could not prevail against him or us, he deposited our sin and our death and our separation. He defeated the enemy. He took the keys of sin and death and he rose. And I thank you, Jesus, that your seed has come out of the ground. And we want to be men and women deeply rooted in you. We want to become conformed to your image. We want to produce your fruit. Would you help us surrender and overcome the fear and the doubt and the unbelief to walk by faith? Would you help us become that ready and prepared heart that can bear 30 and 60 and 100 fold? Lord, we want to become fruitful for you, and we want to help our people and those you will send us become very fruitful for you. You said that this was the most important parable we don't want to fragment the seed and only believe part of who you are and what you say. Help us believe it all, even if we don't understand and we can't control. And Lord, we're willing, if you will, to be planted and die to the flesh that we might live in the spirit. And that's my prayer for every one of these leaders and for myself, that we 
would yield a great fruitful harvest for you. Bless every one of these men and women. Bless their marriages. Bless their families. May the ministries that you have stewarded them with be extremely fruitful and great. I ask it and declare it in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining Joshua Nations on this episode of the Inheritance Podcast. For more information about the ministry of Joshua Nations, please go to www.joshuanations.org. To join our prayer movement, please go to prayer.joshuanations.org. We hope you will join us for the next episode of the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. May God bless you.